0: Alright, so tonight, Luke chapter 30, I'm going to go a little bit over, but not much, okay? Don't worry, I'm not going to go like an an hour from now, I'm just going to go a little bit over. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 30 we'll read there. Uh, I'm really excited about our Wednesday night Bible study right now. So I think if you keep coming, you're going to get a blessing. I turned on the camera and I'm recording it because I know Debbie Harris really liked to uh, be here. And so I'm going to make sure that I upload that later on and for her so that she's able to see this. Um, and I'm thankful tonight I have a new, new dry erase board. I don't know if you noticed that. Somebody donated that to our ministry here and we're thankful for that. Uh, you, ought to, you ought to be able to see it a little bit better now. amen. And I was trying to draw my line and then I ran out of room to draw my line. Now i got more room. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 30. The angel said unto her... Now this is the angel Gabriel from verse 26 talking to the Virgin Mary. He's got a message from God. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, Shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob how long forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end now the father is going to keep this promise he wouldn't make a liar out of Gabriel sending him to give a message and then not follow up with it jesus will receive the throne of his father David, there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will return and he will sit down on his throne in the city of Jerusalem and reign over the whole earth for a thousand years as a military dictator. There will be one man in charge and he will be a Jew and he will be leading the people of Israel and they will rule the world. Uh, to the chagrin of many. So he will be known as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, what we're going to study tonight, I decided we'd put it into kind of a question and answer format. And this subject that we're going to study is so important. We're going to talk about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's so important because it's the main theme of the entire Bible from cover to cover. It's all about a king. In his kingdom. So we're going to put it in three questions. Number one, should the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign of Christ, should it be understood literally? So Let me just put millennium up here. The millennial kingdom. That's what we're talking about. Should it be understood literally, or should it be understood figuratively? That's the question. And we want to answer that. And I'm going to give you the answer. We should understand it literally. Literally. And that should be two N's. We should understand it literally. I'm going to prove that to you. Okay? Number two, the second question, what evidence is there for the literal return of Christ to earth? I've got three reasons, okay? Number one, why would God say 1,000 years in Revelation chapter 20? He said 1,000 years six times if God didn't mean... 1,000 years. What we have here is that Jesus Christ is going to reign in his millennial kingdom and he's going to reign for 1,000 years upon the earth. If God just meant, as other people say, that the 1,000 years just means it's an extended period of time, an undetermined, long period of time, that's what it's saying, Jesus is going to reign forever. That's what the 1,000 years means. If that's the case, why didn't God just say he's going to reign forever and ever? or say it some other way why would god say a thousand years it doesn't make sense and then why would god say it six times and why would he talk that way there and not anywhere else in the bible anywhere else in the bible if he says it was so many days 40 days and 40 nights so he meant 40 days and 40 nights so that's uh, my first my first uh, thing that I'd like us to think about we have the clear teaching of the bible on this that's the first reason why it's why it's going to be literal the kingdom is clearly taught as i said from genesis to revelation so it's clear in the bible that it's taught that way i have up here for you i have a timeline okay this is the entire history of the world as we know it it begins down here In the beginning, with Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, which would be not in Israel, not on Mount Moriah, but would be over there in the Middle East, over in what we know today as being Iraq. So, Genesis 1.1, God creates Adam and Eve, and this is four thousand four. BC. Now that's different than what they're teaching you in the schools. They're lying to you in the schools. You say, how do you get 4004 BC? You add up the genealogies in the Bible. And by adding up the genealogies, you can discover how far back God created Adam and Eve. I'm going to tell you, take this number and drop all the scholars that say billions of years and just throw that into the trash can. Because that's where it belongs. I'll show you why in just a minute. What I have here is I have increments of time, okay? And these increments are 1,000 year periods. From Genesis 1, 1 to Genesis 12, so Genesis 1 through 11, you have 2,000 years. And right here, this is where Abraham, Abram or Abraham, where God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and uses him to start the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. 2,000 years of history, Genesis 1 through 11. And then you have another, there's 3,000 years, 4,000 years, and then you have a very significant event on the calendar. Does anyone know what it is? Anyone know what changes there? What you have is you have the birth of the king. And you have everything before his birth, everything before that is B.C., before Christ. Everything after his birth is A.D. That doesn't mean after his death, that means Anno Domini, and that's Latin for in the year of our Lord. So everything before Christ's birth, and everything after. What you also have is everything before his. This is a, not a tech, this is a technicality, but everything before it is the Old Testament, and everything after is the New Testament. Now, technically, that's that transition happens at his death. But still, all of this is Old Testament. Okay, all of this is New Testament. Shortly after Christ is born, he lives a short life of 33 and a half years, and he's crucified. The king is rejected by his people, and the Jews say to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar, right? They reject their own king. They crucify their king with the help of Rome. After that, we have his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then he deals with his disciples. And then he ascends to be with his father. And he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? And then what we find in the book of Acts is it's a transitional thing in the book of Acts. We're going from the Old Testament Jews to the church. There's a transition from the Jews to the church. What happens in the book of Acts? The Jews continue to reject their Messiah. They still had a chance to receive him. But they continue to... To reject him. And so we have a parenthetical period here. On this timeline. That starts here and goes for 2,000 years. And it is what we know as the church age. So 5,000 years. Would get us up to 1,000 AD. Another 6,000 years. And that's where we are today. In 2022. We are 2,000 years removed. Approximately from the crucifixion, from the start of the church. We're looking at 2,000 years of history. Now, in studying Bible history, what you find out, is you find out that God is on a 7,000 year program. This is what I believe. And it's like, you remember when God created everything? He created everything in six literal days, right? And on the seventh day He rested. Those are 24 hour periods. God's prophetic timeline appears to be A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day, Peter said. So it appears to be that God is going to go through 6,000 years of human history before he rests again on the seventh day. And you know what you have happening here? Now this is where we and just about everybody else agree. What you have here in the 7,000th increment is you have the kingdom prophesied. That Jesus will literally sit on a throne in Jerusalem. The kingdom is here, not here. Not the 2,000 years of church history. The kingdom is here. And what, what happens at the end of the church age? What happens at the end? Jesus Christ comes back. But before he comes back, You have a little sliver of time. Think about how small that is in relation to everything else. Seven years yet to be fulfilled of Daniel's prophecy. Seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble, or we call it the tribulation period. Seven years is going to go right at the end of the the church age. And then Jesus Christ will come back at the end of that seven years. So this is the second advent. This is what we've been studying. The second advent of Christ. That's Revelation 20. Second advent. Right here you have the tribulation period before he comes back. Before the tribulation period, what do you have? You have the church leaving. The church goes up. Therefore, we will not be here for the seven years of the tribulation period. The church will not be here. A lot of the stuff that we study, we need to know it. You know why we need to know it? You know why we need to know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and so on and so forth? You know why we need to know all that? Because man doth not live by bread alone, but by what? But every word, right? Not just the New Testament, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The church goes up. We won't be here for the tribulation, but we'll come back with him. And we will be here for this. Okay? So we're going to look at this. Remember, why should we believe this is literal? What are the evidences? First of all, the Bible clearly teaches it. The Bible clearly teaches what I'm showing you right here. Now, we've had the question in our class, and it's a good question. We've had the question why do we have to believe that it's a literal kingdom? On Earth, that Christ is literally coming back. Why do we have to believe that? Okay, and then I, I said there are people who are like us, many of them, and they are pre-millennial. Remember, I wrote that out: pre-millennial, meaning Christ comes back before the millennial kingdom. He sets it up himself. There are people who are post-millennial, not many, certainly not after World War One and World War Two. They're post-millennial. They believe Christ comes back at the end of the millennial period. They believe there will be a millennium, but the church brings it in through our efforts. We bring it in. He comes back and he gives us a pat on the back and says, good job. That's post-millennialism. Christ comes back post, after. And then you have all millennialism. They don't believe that there is a literal kingdom on earth. They believe you could take this crown and put it up here in heaven. And they believe from the time that Christ came the first time, his first advent, to the time that he comes back his second time, which would be here or somewhere way out here, between the first and the second advent, the millennial reign of Christ is not on earth. A cancels it out. It's not literal. It's not on earth. It is up in heaven. So technically they believe that the kingdom is in heaven, that they are reigning uh, reigning in heaven, and all who are saved during this period go to the kingdom. That's what all millennials believe. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Is that clear enough already? Is that clear? Okay, I hope it is. Trying to be real, real plain. What's the problem with that? Okay, this group believes that scripture and prophecy will be literally fulfilled. That's us, pre-millennial. Literally fulfilled. This group right here Post millennialists, they do not look at the Bible literally. Okay? They don't. When they look at the Bible, they read it figuratively. In other words, Adam wasn't a real guy. Eve was not a real woman. The devil was not in a serpent. They'd make fun of you for that. They'd say these are Adam is the male principle, Eve is the female principle, the devil is the principle of evil and of darkness, and and they're not real. Now I'm not I'm I'm not on board with that. You know why? Because you'd have to make Jesus a liar to side with them. Because Jesus talked about them like they were real. The all-millennials, guess what? They don't believe in a literal kingdom. And they look at the Bible figuratively. It's not, it's not literal, you understand. It's, they spiritualize it. So we are the only group that looks at the Bible literally. Now again, why? Why do we have to say it's literal? My first reason was the Bible is just plain as can be. My second reason is this. Turn with me to Genesis 12. Let's go through these real quick. My second reason is this. We have unconditional covenants that have to be fulfilled. So the first reason was the Bible teaches it plainly from cover to cover. The only way you can get away from it is to say it's figurative, it's not literal, it doesn't actually happen, it's just... Spiritual. The second reason is that there are unconditional covenants that have not been fulfilled. So if God doesn't fulfill them, then he's a liar. And my God's not a liar. So they've got to be fulfilled. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Just reading briefly. The Lord said unto Abram. This is about 2,000 years into uh, the history of the world. The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, and go to a land, right? I'm going to show it to you when you get there. And then he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, make your name great, and so on and so forth. Okay? That's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God did not attach any conditions to it. God says, I'm going to do this no matter how you behave. Whether you keep my commandments or no, I'm going to do this. Look at Genesis 15. Still the Abrahamic covenant. Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15 and verse 7. Some people call this the Palestinian covenant. I don't like that. That word Palestinian is not a a good word. That comes from Philistine and it shouldn't be used to describe that land. That land is the land of Israel. Uh, Genesis 15 in verse 7, you can see it again here. This is the Abrahamic covenant. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Okay? Do they have the land right now? No, they don't. They never got all the land that God promised to them. It was never fulfilled. Not in the day of Joshua. It was not fulfilled. Everything that God said He was going to give to them. It has not been fulfilled yet, and it is Unconditional. And God is going to give them this land, and they're going to get it right here. Jesus is going to have to come back to make it happen. Okay? Deuteronomy 30. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we're talking about unconditional covenants that have not been fulfilled. If God doesn't do this, then his word is left unfulfilled. So, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 1. Now, this is when Israel was being warned about the blessings and the curses that are attached to keeping his law. And he says, uh, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be blessed and you're also going to be cursed because God knows all things that are going to happen. But chapter 30, verse 1, It shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among the nations. Okay, So God punishes them by bringing in a Gentile nation to defeat them and conquer them, and then carry them away captive, and that way to destroy their nation, and remove them from their own land, and remove them from their national identity. God says when this happens, and you're dispersed all over the world, if when you're somewhere else, you're in New York City, or you are in Syria, or you're in Jordan, or you're in Africa somewhere, or South America. When you call to mind, you call these things to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, that means God will bring them back into their land, and have compassion upon thee, and will return, and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Okay? There's a prophecy, there's a covenant attached to it, even if they blow it. Okay? Even if they blow it, God says, I'm still going to bring you back into the land. Guess what happened in 1948? They started coming back into the land, trickling in at first. Not very many at first. Now they're up, and they're over five million. It's a lot of Jews there in the land. That's fulfillment of prophecy. They became a state, now they're a nation. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. God, God cannot move ahead prophetically without the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel has to be in play for God to move ahead prophetically. Before 1948, nobody, nobody saw how it could actually happen, literally, so everybody said it must be spiritual. And then all of a sudden, they become a state again. Not only that, so they were not a people. They were not the nation of Israel. And then they were again. Not only that, but they started to learn their ancient dead language, Hebrew. This has never happened with any other nation in the history of the world, but it happened with them against all odds. So there's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Davidic covenant. We won't look at it. But uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, we won't read it, but what you find there is you find the Davidic covenant, and it says the same thing that Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1. If you want to look at it, you can. It says that God will restore a king to the throne of David, and he will reign on that throne forever. Okay? That hasn't happened yet, and it's unconditional. God dumped Israel. For sure. They were unfaithful. They were idolaters. God dumped them, but he's not done with them. He's going to bring them back to the land, and he is doing it. Now, that's exciting, folks. You are actually seeing it happen. And do you know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you the church age is almost over. And what you're looking at is God is going to go to his next dispensation, his next program, which is the millennial kingdom kingdom. And it has to be done literally or else those covenants are not fulfilled. Last one, last one. There are, let's let's see, there are 48 prophecies that Bible scholars have categorized, researched, and then uh, published That they've discovered there's 48 prophecies in the Gospels that Jesus fulfilled during His first advent. Okay? So, at the first advent, 48 prophecies. Now, how did He fulfill these prophecies? These are Old Testament prophecies, okay? So, they were spoken about here, and mostly right here by the prophets in Israel. The things that He fulfilled, they were prophesied more than 400 years before he was born. So it doesn't matter what critical scholars try to say about the New Testament. 400 years before he was born, and many of them 1,000 years before, were prophesied. He fulfilled 48 of them literally. So this is my third reason why I believe it's going to be a literal kingdom. He did it literally. Do you know how many prophecies are left to be fulfilled in the Old Testament? This is an average count 500. 500 left to be fulfilled at his second advent. If you were a betting man, do you think they'd be fulfilled spiritually or literally? I would say literally, okay? Because that's how it's been done. I'll tell you something else. There are more prophecies about the tribulation period than there are about what he did here. Born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, all that stuff. More prophecies about the tribulation period. Okay? So, that's another reason. You know why God has an Old Testament? For the Jew. You know why God gave us the New Testament? To show us that this is a... This is an inspired book. This is God's book. And God gave us a New Testament. The Jews, they don't have the whole Bible. All they have is the Old Testament Hebrew. He gives us the New Testament to show us that this book is inspired. And it's supernatural. Okay? It's supernatural. Now, let me wrap this up. It shows us that the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament proves the inspiration of the Bible. I want to show you something that is just too cool for Sunday school, okay? Like George Griffiths would say, you've got to see this, okay? You've got to see it. Look at, uh, look at 2 Chronicles. Look at the end of 2 Chronicles, the very last verse. you just got to see it. you got 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 and 2 Chronicles. you just got to see it. Our Old Testament, in our King James authorized version of the Bible... Our Old Testament has 39 books, right? The Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible also has 39 books. They never accepted the Apocrypha, in case you're wondering. They never accepted it. Um, There's 39 books in the Hebrew Old Testament. Remember, they don't have the New Testament. 39 books, but they're in a different order, so the same material, but they put it in a different order. 2 Chronicles is the end of their Bible. Do you want to know what the last verse is that a Jew reads in their Bible before they decide, okay, it's time to start over and go back to the beginning? These orthodox, conservative Jews. The last verse that they read is at the end of 2 Chronicles. And guess what it says? Guess what it says? 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 23. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. And ever since 1948, they've been going back to Jerusalem, and you know what they want to do? They want to build their third temple. They read that, man, they get excited. That's at the end of their Bible. You know what? Somebody gave me this thing. And it has, uh, talks about what the Jews do in their culture and their traditions. And the Jews will repeat a prayer during their holidays and their religious rituals. They've been doing this for a thousand years. And the prayer that they pray is, Next year in Jerusalem. Next year, we're going to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. They've been praying that for a thousand years. 1948, it actually became a reality for a small group of them. More and more every year. Next year in Jerusalem, just like 2 Chronicles 36-23. Now, do you want to know what's at the end of our Bible in the Old Testament? Turn to Malachi. Turn to Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew, and we'll end here. Next year in Jerusalem, our Bible is laid out in a dispensational order, just like I've been teaching you. It's laid out that way, from cover to cover. That's why we should read it from cover to cover. It's set in a dispensational order. Look at the last verse in our Old Testament. And you can see the difference between a Jew and God's program with the Jews right now. And the difference between the church and God's program for a Christian right now. What we're supposed to be looking for. Is we're supposed to be looking for Jesus Christ to come back. What they're looking for. Is they're looking for for coming to Jerusalem to build their third temple. Okay. So it says here. Verse 6 of chapter 4. And he shall turn. Who? Well he's talking about uh, Jesus coming back. That's what the whole chapter is about. The coming day of the Lord and the second advent. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. All of chapter 4 is about the coming day of the Lord. This right here. The second advent. The Lord coming back. So in our Old Testament at the end, we are shown this. That Jesus Christ is coming back to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children for Israel. The Jews, they are looking forward to coming back to Israel to build the third temple, which is exactly what they're doing. And when they do, they're going to build that third temple, and the Antichrist is going to desecrate it, and they're going to accept Him, sadly. They don't understand that Jesus Christ came the first time as the Lamb, and second time He's coming back as the Lion. They don't get that. You say, what does that really do for me on Monday morning? This stuff is out there. Well, let me tell you something. You have a supernatural book. You might as well just get used to it. Do you realize all the stuff you believe about the Old Testament? Why do you think it would change now? Do you realize everything you believe about the Gospels? Jesus bringing men back from the dead, restoring limbs whole, producing limbs where there wasn't one, giving sight to the blind. We believe in a supernatural God, do we not? Well, He's not done with some of the things that He's going to do. You say, what difference does this make for me on Monday morning? Well, somebody said, when you teach, make sure you tell everybody that what we're supposed to be doing here in the church age is not just being fat and happy. In the church age, we're supposed to be working for Christ. Serving the Lord. Spreading the gospel. Because when Jesus Christ comes back to get us, This isn't the second advent. This is him catching up his church, the rapture. You could think of it as a first phase of his return, but it's not the second advent. He comes back to get us, and we come up here and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be judged for our works, and rewarded, and given crowns. And then he's going to have us come back with him, and there's going to be three groups reigning in the kingdom. Three groups reigning in the kingdom. The church-age saints is one of them. Tribulation saints who were martyred for their faith is another one, and Old Testament saints reigning with Jesus Christ in the kingdom. And if you haven't done anything for him, guess what? You're not going to reign with him. He said, if you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. Some of us might be sweeping the streets or something like that, or handling crowd control, or who knows what else. And then some of us will be reigning over cities and things like that. And he's going to reward us. Let me give you this illustration. Brother Andrew, he, he died recently. He's known as a God's Bible smuggler. And listen to his testimony to Christians in the West. He smuggled millions of Bibles to soviet bloc countries. He died recently. But before he did, he was interviewed and he said this. <coughs> think of this a man who endangered his life multiple times to over 125 countries, smuggling millions of Bibles in, and uh, was willing to die for the Lord. He said this. He says, I think that we, and he said, I include myself, I think that we in the West are cowards. We ought to become people of guts and of courage and of strong convictions. And he was saying, we need to do something for the Lord while we have time. Take encouragement from that. Paul said, I I count not my, my, my life dear to myself. He said, I want to finish my course. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Our job in the church age is not to love our lives, but to love the Lord and to get busy doing something. If you don't have a ministry for the Lord, you need to get one. Find something that you're doing just for Him. Don't do it because, oh, well, the choir director wanted me to do it. Don't do it because, oh, well, the, the person overseeing uh, VBS asked me to do it, so I did it. Well, you're doing it for that person. You're not doing it for the Lord. Find something that you're just doing it for the Lord and get busy Work, for the night is coming when no man can work. And witness. Don't be a coward for Jesus. Don't be a coward. Don't be an undercover secret agent of the cross. Be a bold, courageous witness with a backbone. Think of your friend that you work with, that you go to school with, that you do 4-H with, that you go to whatever group you're you're involved in, think of that friend that you've never told them that there is a literal burning hell and if you reject Jesus Christ you're going to end up there and I want you to think about your friend and meeting that friend at the end of the kingdom at the Great White Throne Judgment and that friend looking over at you and seeing that you're on the right side and saying what about that person? Why are they over there? Why, Why am I here? Why am I going to hell? I think I was just as good a person as that person and an angel happened to explain to them, like in the Jack Chick track, well, that's because uh, they trusted Jesus as their Savior. And imagine that person saying, they never told me, and then going out into a lake of fire. Imagine that. So let's not that, let that be us. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for this Bible study. God, I thank you for the Word of God. It is just amazing. The, uh, the, the probability of one man being able to,